Welcome to the Holistic Birth and Wellness Podcast, where we celebrate the incredible journey of childbearing and delve into the heart of women's health. We are your hosts, Andrea and Maggie. We are licensed midwives and advanced practice lactation consultants dedicated to empowering and guiding you through the transformative experience of pregnancy, childbirth, and beyond. Join us as we explore stories, expert insights, and practical advice that pull from both allopathic and holistic approaches. Our desire is to foster a community that honors the strength and beauty of every woman's unique health experience. We value your time. Thanks Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to our official podcast episode. I'm your host, Maggie. And I'm Andrea. And today we're going to start off by piloting our new podcast. We understand that there's so many different podcasts out there, so many different great providers to listen to and learn from, but we want you to know why you're listening to us. So today we're going to start talking a little bit about Andrea and her journey into midwifery. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Andrea. Um, She is my co-midwife, my business partner, one of my best friends, and I love her, so you guys have to love her too (laughs) by default. Um, No, but in all seriousness, she's a phenomenal midwife. She is a former doula and childbirth educator. She's an advanced practice lactation consultant. She's a Zumba aficionado. (laughs) and she's a mom of four. So she just has this breadth of experience and knowledge to bring into your care. And I always am in awe watching. Um, But enough about my infatuation with you. (laughs) Uh, What brought you into midwifery in the first place? It started with the birth of my first two children. So they were really different births. My first was very challenging. And my second was just a really triumphant experience after the very hard experience of birthing my oldest. Yeah. So touch a little bit about your first birth experience, because I think most of us tend to go into birth for our, you know, the first time around, you don't know what you don't know. Um, And that can lead to certain scenarios or outcomes. Um, Tell us a little bit about your first birth experience. So with my first birth, I was planning on having a hospital-based birth with a team of midwives. And I remember going into my 40-week appointment. My due date was one or two days later. And I was actually having contractions on my way to the appointment. So I was really excited. Naively, I thought, oh, maybe they'll admit me because I'll be far along and that would be cool. (laughs) Today's the day. I'm due and I'm having a baby. Yeah, the first person to ever do that as a first time mom, of course. (laughs) And so I had a vaginal exam because that was a routine part of the obstetrical care that I was receiving. And I was only like a centimeter dilated, but I was softening and ripening and everything was heading in a good direction. But I'll never forget the midwife looked at me and said, well, you could be back tonight, but you could be back next week. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am, but you will be seeing me tonight because we will not be doing this for a week. You are wrong and I will be back. (laughs) And so, yeah, we went home and uh, just took it easy that afternoon. Um, We watched Taboba and it was there that I experienced my first real uterine contraction. And it just had me double over the chair and we had unfortunately walked there. So 
all I could think was, well, I have to get home before that happens again. And I very, very quickly waddled home um, to which my husband made fun of the whole time. He's like, that's the fastest you've moved in this entire pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah. The pregnancy swag. Yeah. It's differently when (laughs) you got to be quick. I just knew that I needed to go home and be in my bedroom. And I, I did just that. The contractions continued coming and I was told by the midwives to basically come to the hospital when I could no longer tolerate being at home. And so I was moving through my contractions. I was in the shower. I was on the bed and just kind of listening to what my body was asking of me. And that probably took maybe six or so hours. My mom came over. She was helping me cope. We were timing every contraction like a really good first-time parent does. Um, I did, did you have an app? We You know, I don't think we had an app in, this was almost, let's see, 12 years ago. I don't think we Uh, had an app for that yet. So now there's an app for that. Yes, there is. It it really helps us out because people mess up contraction timing all the time. Yeah. People still mess up the app. They do still mess up the app, but you know, it's, it's confusing. But anyway, I... Went to the hospital when my contractions are probably coming like every three to four minutes. And I was starting to struggle with coping. And it was probably like 11 at night. And when we arrived to the hospital, I was six centimeters, which is good. I was happy to not have been three centimeters. But knowing what I know now as a midwife, six centimeters is a start of active labor for a mm-hmm. first-time mom. It can be an average of 12 to 24 hours from there. So I should have stayed home, but, you know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Okay. How was the transition? Because we always talk about moving in labor and transitioning from home to hospital or home to birth center, home to any space, really, when you're in that labor brain and now all of a sudden you have to get dressed, pack up, move, make sure you're not forgetting things. How was that trying to settle back in at the hospital? That was really hard for me. I was at a teaching hospital, so there were an extraordinary number of people attending to me. You know, it felt like the the student had a student, the curtain had a student, everybody had a student. And And I remember this very young 18-year-old male student standing behind me. Of course, the gown opens in the back. And I was doubled over in a contraction thinking, oh, he can see my butt crack. (laughs) And all I can do right now is breathe. So the moment that contraction passed, I was like, sir, can you please move to the front of me? Um, And he looked like he just wanted to crawl into a hole and did not belong there. But... (laughs) He's like, oh, no, thank you for asking. I didn't know I could move. (laughs) Yeah, so it was really difficult to settle in, you know, the beepings. And I had the monitors and the pulse pulse oximeter, the blood pressure cuff, um, the IV, you know, it was a lot. And I couldn't get back to this place of, at the time, I didn't know what it was, but I couldn't get back to my primal brain. So I was very much in my frontal cortex, like observing and analyzing, and I couldn't shut that down. And so my transition there was challenging. I had really good support. My friend who was a nurse at that hospital actually came on to the shift to take care of me. And my two favorite midwives were on shift that um, day. So they came in and labored with me and I 
was just thinking, well, I need an epidural because I can't get settled in. And they labored with me for a couple of hours and just said, let's reassess in a couple of hours. Um, can you do that? Can we coach you? Can we get you to breathe and see where we're at in the next couple of hours? Because we think you're going to probably turn a corner, which I feel like that is amazing to have had that support in that moment because I don't think that's everybody's typical experience. Oftentimes you don't show up at the hospital and have the nurses available to be at your bedside for two hours or the oh, you know, yeah. nurse midwife even or OB, the OB doesn't do it, but to be at your bedside and hold you through those contractions for two hours. And this was a September baby, which we all know is the Busy busiest yeah, month in the labor and delivery unit. So uh, those two hours went by and I had a, another exam and I was the same dilation and Still I was very... Yeah. And I was really discouraged by that. Um, but my body just couldn't relax. And so I did ask for the epidural. It was a really busy night in the hospital. So anesthesia took a long time to get to me. Once they arrived, it was, um, a resident placing the epidural, which I didn't know at the time, but we did start to have some concerns. We, as in my husband, my mom, myself, my nurse, although of course, she's not going to say that because right. she's not going to scare me, but it took him. Well, he actually didn't place my epidural correctly. After four failed attempts, his attending came in and after 45 minutes of him trying, she placed the epidural swiftly and without issues. However, as they started to push the medication, um, pretty quickly, my baby went into fetal distress and they turned me through the oxygen mask on. The intrauterine uh, resuscitation. Yeah, a ton of people poured into the <clears> room. <throat> and I was actually wheeled away pretty quickly. Um, as they were trying to get the baby back up, I got a shot of terbutaline, which stops the contractions just to get the stress off of the baby. And by the time that I was wheeled into the OR, he had recovered. And I was in observation. They didn't proceed with the surgery, which I'm super thankful about. I think I can only attribute that to my nurse and the midwives. Um, and so I had an opportunity to go back to my room and start labor back up again, which involved Pitocin and eventually breaking my waters. Um, I want to circle back to talk about once you got the epidural, <clears throat> you know, we hear all the time. I went to the hospital, I had an epidural, and, you know, the rest is history. But we don't often touch up on what it takes to get an epidural or what the potential consequences or side effects of an epidural are. I feel like it's just, I got an epidural or I'm planning to get an epidural, but do you know what it's for or what could happen? Um, and so to get an epidural, you're basically sitting on the edge of the bed. You're in this sort of hunched over position. And you're trying not to move because the anesthesiologist is trying to put a needle into your spine, um, right? Not into the actual nerves, but into these membranes surrounding your spine. And they put a catheter in and medication to basically cause you to not feel those contractions, which an epidural utilized properly can preserve a vaginal delivery and can be a very beneficial thing. Absolutely. Um, but the consequence that can happen with an epidural is your blood pressure can drop very quickly and the baby can get really distressed. And so that's what happened in your case is your blood pressure right. dropped, your baby got distressed, and now they're like, okay, now we have to get the baby out. Right. And one way that um, the hospital tries to prevent that blood pressure from dropping is they do require you to get a liter of IV fluids before they're placing the epidural, which usually 
helps. Helps, but not always a guarantee. Right. Sure. So your baby's not doing well. They rush you back to the OR. By that time, baby recovers. They observe you. And mm-hmm. now you're back in your room. They start some Pitocin to get labor to start back up. Since they gave you that shot of terbutaline to stop contractions, now they need to start them back up. Right. How are you going to do that? Synthetically with Pitocin. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is a bummer. I didn't want that. But at this point, we're we're in this mm-hmm. We're in this space. We want to have a vaginal delivery. You got to do what you got to do. And I eventually made it to 10 centimeters. I did labor down for a little bit and then it was time to start pushing. And this part was really challenging for me. I did push for three hours, which is not abnormal for a first time mom. However, I was experiencing this pressure and sort of headache that I wasn't sure what to do with and I kept kind of saying my head hurts when I'm pushing and I think the team thought that I was just pushing incorrectly. So sometimes first time moms will use a lot of their upper body energy and kind of push in their face and their chest and instead of really engaging the lower abdominals and pushing down like you're having a bowel movement. And so they were just trying to give me better feedback on how to push. Um, but we'll talk about what, you know, really was happening in a little bit. Um, I did get the baby low enough to where eventually I was offered a vacuum to assist the delivery because it had been three hours. I wasn't seemingly able to get past this point and it was really terrifying to consider that just because there are risks associated and I could see on my husband's face that he was really afraid. And so I think I knew though that it was either a vaginal delivery with a vacuum or a surgical birth. And so I did consent to it. There are limited amount of times that the vacuum can pop off before um, it's no longer able to be used. And unfortunately it did pop off once. And so my nurse looked at me and was like, listen, you have to push like your life depends on it. The baby must be born on this next push. And I just felt like, well, even if my head actually splits open, I will be uh, birthing this baby on this next push. And that is what I did. And it was an unexplainable feeling, uh, to have him out of my body. Um, definitely not the, fuzzy, warm rainbows and firework feeling. I was, he didn't come straight on to me because he did have a hematoma from the first pop-off, which is like uh, bruising, swelling in the skull and he needed to be examined at the warmer. So it honestly didn't matter because had he been on me, I was so out of body and scared and just thinking, am I okay? Am I going to be okay? And it really felt like I was just looking down on my my body. And so I wouldn't have been able to connect, I think, even if he was handed directly to me. And you're probably still just trying to come down from all this pain and pressure in your head that you felt, especially with that last big intense push. When someone says, hey, you need to have your baby right now, it's cute. We're done playing games. We're having the baby right now. Of course. Yeah. And... My husband got that full experience. He was crying and holding the baby and it was great for him. And it wasn't until I went into the postpartum unit um, 
that I was able to have that connection. You know, once it was quiet and everybody was gone and I was just kind of more in my body, I was able to have that bonding experience. However, it was still masked because I was experiencing this headache. And I was given Norco to help with some of the symptoms, but it was not completely taking the headache away. And I was in recovery for about 24 hours before I was discharged to home. And I was sent home on like Motrin, right? So Mm -hmm. as soon as I discontinued the Norco, I began vomiting. Within a few hours of being home, I could not sit up. I couldn't have the lights on. I could not listen to any sound. So I couldn't have the baby near me because when he cried, it was unbearable. My ears were ringing and I just felt like my head was going to explode. And I kept asking my husband, like, do you do you think this is normal? (laughs) And, um, you know, I don't know. How are we supposed to know? And when we called the hospital that discharged us, they said, well, you're going to have to check into the ER because you don't just come back into the postpartum unit. And so we decided to just go to our local ER and we weren't going to take the baby with us for that, of course, which felt like, well, let's leave our leg at home. Yeah, it's awful. It's terrible to be separated from your baby. But my mom and and my mother-in-law came over and stayed with him while um, my husband took me to the hospital. And thank God for the ER doctor that night because he knew pretty immediately that I was experiencing an epidural headache, which has a risk less than 1% of people who are um, utilizing an epidural can get this headache. It's basically spinal fluid from the brain draining out of one of the holes that was made to place the epidural. And so you're having an imbalance of that fluid and it causes this headache that can be mild to excruciating and it can take days to weeks to heal. Mine was definitely on the more intense side of the spectrum. So I was actually admitted for a procedure called a blood patch that corrects that epidural headache. And this was probably within a couple of days of being home from discharge after birth. You go to the hospital. How long after you got this blood patch procedure would you say that your headache resolved or improved? Oh, my goodness. Within an hour, I felt 95% better. And I was asking the anesthesiologist at this private hospital, different than the one that I birthed at, I said, is there an issue with my back? Is there anything I need to know about for future deliveries? And he said, no, your anatomy is perfectly normal. You were just at a teaching hospital. And, you know, his opinion was don't have a baby at a teaching hospital. That's such a normal physiological event. Have something really weird and foreign at a teaching hospital. Right. But also says the guy who was once a resident himself. (laughs) Well, and at a teaching hospital. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it just luck of the draw. And that was the card that you were dealt. Yeah. Um, So you have this challenging birth, you have a challenging postpartum immediately after, you know, not a walk in the park. And then now you're mom. Now you're mom. So you're trying to process everything that happens, but you're handed a baby and you have to figure out how to breastfeed. And that was a whole special journey. I mean, I definitely had cracked and bleeding nipples and I had no idea about anything. And so those first six weeks were just, I remember thinking like, okay, when does it get better? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then you have a baby. And so you keep going because it's really hard to stop and process everything that you've experienced. And unplanned, we found ourselves pregnant with our second 15 months later. 
And I thought, oh no. So I was excited about being a mom to two. I loved being a mom, but I was just thinking, well, how are we going to get the baby out? Because I will not be using an epidural again, but how do I do that? right? Right. How have people done this forever and coped with the pain and, and all of that. And so that pregnancy involved a lot of education, reading books, watching videos. Um, I learned about doulas. There wasn't a doula living in my town at the time who was practicing. And so I don't know why my idea was, well, I will just get trained as a doula and then I will teach my husband, my husband, what I learned. And then we will doula me. Well, to be fair, there was a problem and you were trying to solve it. <laughs> yes, but that was that was reaching for sure. But I had a friend who had just gotten her RN license and she wanted to work in labor and delivery. And so she came with me um, to that doula training. And by the end of it, she looked at me and was like, so I'm your doula, right? And I'm like, oh, thank God. Yes, please. <laughs> I, I, I can't reteach my husband all these things. So I there is you. no way. And that weekend was really healing for me. I cried the whole weekend, um, processed a lot, and was just in a really wonderful space of other women who want to make birth better. And so I really felt cared for. And um, so Tiffany, my friend, she was planning on being my doula at the birth. I was seeing an OB practice in town. It, it's the only practice that delivers out of the hospital in town. And I couldn't afford a home birth midwife at the time. I remember I did call the sanctuary who, which isn't there anymore, mm-hmm. but it used to be, it was like Dr. Stu and, um, a bunch of LA midwives, but they didn't take my insurance and we just could not afford a home birth at the time. So my plan was, well, I'll go see this OB who I don't love the group because you wait 45 minutes to be seen. You're seen for 10 minutes. Didn't really feel like any of them listened to me. I, when I would say like, Hey, I, as long as the baby and I are okay, I would really like an unmedicated birth with low intervention, none at all as possible. And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, just keep an open mind. An open mind to what? (laughs) So yeah, I just thought, well, I'll stay at home as long as I can and then roll in and push a baby out. Right. We lived still five thinking, minutes from the hospital. Yeah. But you're still thinking, I can't ever repeat that again. So how do I not do that? And it's, well, I got to the hospital. So let's get there as late as possible. Yeah. So I was going to have a few people with me. Um, my son was going to go to my mom. Tiffany was going to be with me. Uh, my friend Rachel was going to come and just pray over the the space and for me, for the baby. And then my friend, Jennifer Miller, who is the first person I ever met to have had home births. And I thought she was crazy at the time. And then, um, as I learned more, I appreciated her more. And she's now, (laughs) yeah, she is an incredible doula. Um, she's in orange County. If you live near her and you want a doula, she's absolutely who you need to hire. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can share her info in the show notes, but she had an incredible double hip squeeze. So I'll tell you a little bit about, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Um, so with my second, I went to my appointment just a couple days before my due date and I had the vaginal exam, which I didn't want, but I kind of felt like I needed to choose my battles and this wasn't the hill that I was going to die on. So I let her do a vaginal exam, but this time it was hurting 
And I stopped her. I was like, hey, this is really uncomfortable. What's going on? Is everything okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm just sweeping your membranes and be glad that I'm the one doing it. I'm the gentlest in the practice. And I felt just so small because I had expressed that I did not want any form of induction Mm -hmm. and a membrane sweep is a form of induction. I didn't have informed consent. I wasn't prepared for it. It was painful. And so I knew that I needed to either get out of the office or I was going to like pull her hair or start crying. Oh, but be thankful that she did it and not someone else. That form of gaslighting too. So I went to the car and I bawled my eyes out. I called my husband. He's like, I'm, I'm going down there. I'm going to have a word with her. And I was like, no, because she's going to be mean to me in labor. And so you can't do that. And that, you know, is a real thing. You, as a patient, you want your provider to like you and be nice to you, you know, and, um, I didn't want to do anything to mess that up. But now I was really like, I cannot go to the hospital until this baby is coming out of my body because, If she's going to sweep my membranes without my consent and I'm not in labor, what will happen when I'm in labor? Right. She is going to break my water without my consent. Like, I I don't know, but I can't risk it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I did wake up in labor a couple of mornings later and I was really excited. I had um, just kind of a list of things that I was praying over that I wanted for this birth. And one of them was to have a day labor after sleeping all night. And so, yeah, I was rejuvenated (laughs) (laughs) and just really excited, right? That I had spontaneous labor happening, which of course I did. I did the first time. It would be really unusual to need an Mm -hmm. induction with your second, but I was keeping labor to myself in bed because it wasn't super intense yet. But after a few hours, I looked at Andreas and I was like, hey, I'm in labor. And he was like, okay, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> and we got up, he got Levi ready to go to my mom's and I sat on my ball. And I remember reading just about doing circuits, like sit on the ball, mm-hmm. walk around, sway, get in the shower, just kind of keep changing what you're doing once that thing isn't feeling good anymore. And so that's what I did. And it worked, you know, that once the ball sitting wasn't working for me anymore, I I stood up and I swayed and that worked until it didn't. And so I just kept shifting and probably around 930 in the morning, uh, all the people that we had planned on having at the birth were there. And I remember really liking water. So I was standing in the shower and then I was sitting on my ball in the shower. And eventually I was just sitting cross-legged in my shower and, or, you know, my little apartment bathtub. And somebody was like brushing my hair and pouring water on my back. And I was like, oh man, this is lovely. <laughs> like, do I really have to have a baby to get this kind of attention? <laughs> the only time to get that attention. <laughs> and so I remember my water was getting cold. And I said to the team, I was like, hey guys, um, listen, I said to my husband, I I need you to call the water company and I need you to tell them that I'm going to need an endless supply of hot water and that we'll pay any amount of money for that. And he looked at me and was like, you got it, babe. And he went and heated the kettle. Best husband right there. And my water stayed hot. And your water stayed hot. I didn't know how. No idea how, but it didn't matter. So I actually got to a point where I was sounding really primal and like I was close to delivery and somebody said, Hey, I think it might be time to go to the hospital. And I remember, and my back is to everybody. And I was, I remember saying, yeah, so I'm not going. 
And they're like, all right, well, we're, we're going to let you talk to your husband about that privately. And he came over and I remember looking at him in the eyes and saying, this baby's going to be born here. And I understand if that scares you, but you'll need to leave. And then you can come back when she's out. And he was like, okay, then um, I'm not going to leave. But once you start pushing her out, we are going to call an ambulance because we don't know what to do with her <laughs> once she's out. And I was what like, what happens next? <laughs> uh, even funnier joke is that they're like, I don't want to be there for that. <laughs> yeah. EMS also didn't want to be there. So um, I was like, I don't care what you do, but you know, why did I choose that in that moment? Two things. One, I could barely breathe let alone get dressed, get in the car, drive. There was no way. I was so deep into my labor. I couldn't fathom moving or like standing up out of this tub. And the other was, this is going so well. What's going to happen when I change locations and when I start getting managed and, you know, I just, I couldn't do it. And so I actually thought the baby was going to be born in my tub, but suddenly I needed to get out. I got really hot. I I felt kind of like claustrophobic. And I was like, I have to get out of this tub right now. (laughs) Thanks for the hot water. It needs to be cold now. (laughs) Yeah. And I couldn't figure out how I wanted to be. And finally, somebody was just like, sit on this ball and lean on the bed and kind of did that take charge routine on me, which I really needed. Yeah. And so I settled back into my labor on the ball um, at the end of my bed. So I'm kind of leaning over my bed on a pillow. And I think to myself, well, how's the baby going to come out if I'm sitting on the ball? Good question. It's a fair question. (laughs) I ask that and they're like, well, you'll stand up. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I'm glad you guys know this. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, about an hour later, I feel this enormous amount of pressure. It truly feels like my butthole is going to explode. Uh, preface disclaimer shout out to all the first time moms who don't know what childbirth feels like there is a bus coming out of your butthole that's what it feels like (laughs) and so I didn't have this sensation the first time because I had the epidural and with this contraction and all this pressure my water breaks and the baby ejects out of my body like a VHS tape (laughs) For all the people who don't know what that is. Oh, my gosh. People don't know what a VHS tape is, which makes me feel very old. We are older than Google. So the baby is expelled out of my body. It's called the fetal ejection Mm -hmm. reflex. I didn't know about it until I experienced it. She just, with that water breaking, came out into my husband's hands, barely. He passed her to me through my legs, and I sat back with her. She was perfect and pink and crying, and I was Everybody was crying. EMS is one, <laughs> one minute away and they're frantic because I have friends that are first responders and they're like, we would rather be called to a burning building with people inside than an OB call. So yeah. <laughs> once they realized that everything was okay, they were like, Are, what, did you plan this? And we're like, no, nah, not exactly. And then we got a ride to the hospital and, you know, I delivered the placenta there and everything was pretty routine after that, but it was life changing. I Mm -hmm. just, that day being my favorite day of my life so far has nothing to do with my love for my children. It has everything to do with feeling so 
triumphant, victorious, redeemed, healed, you know, just the first birth left me doubting my body and my abilities and having fear and question and doubt. And then that second birth was just proving that the body works, I'm strong, it's going to be okay. You know, it was a really, really wonderful feeling. And my husband felt that too, because he was such an active support in that birth. And he, he was really in it with me. And we both just healed and triumphed so much in that delivery. Yeah, they're just so polar opposite, right? And you have four kids. Mm-hmm. So first was challenging. Second was redeeming. Mm-hmm. Third. Third was, I call it my boring birth because everything was great. Home or I, hospital? Home. Planned home birth with a licensed midwife. I loved her, Donna Barlow. She was amazing and just calm and encouraging and just wonderful. And it was uneventful. I pushed him out in the bathtub. My husband was with me. Um, I, you know, brought him out of the water. He was directly on me. I was taken to my own bed. My children were there. My parents were there. My friends were with me. It was just a great birth and a pretty great pregnancy. So, yeah. And then my fourth was a planned home birth um, during COVID. And... It, I was pregnant during one of the hardest seasons of my life. We were in, it, this was 2020, so COVID lockdown. Um, my brother-in-law was killed in Iraq. He was a Marine Corps raider on the Special Forces team. And um, we got a knock at the door on March 8th of 2020 that he was killed in action. And so the grief and the mourning that come with that, the phone was ringing off the hook because all these moms were scared to birth in the hospital and they wanted a home birth. My kids came home from spring break and then never returned to school. And then I found out I was pregnant and I just couldn't accept the fact that I was pregnant and truly even into labor. I just couldn't wrap my brain around having another baby Mm -hmm. and you need to have an emotional capacity to birth at home and cope with labor. And I just didn't have it. And so I had a funky um, labor pattern. She was my biggest baby. She was sunny side up. So her position wasn't great. And after 24 hours of just a pattern that wasn't turning into anything, but it wasn't stopping, I was exhausted. I checked myself. There was no progression. And I told my husband, I'm like, I need to go to the hospital and get an epidural. And that's what I did. And I got a glorious epidural. I had established care with a colleague, a friend, um, an OB who was wonderful. And I got an epidural. We took a nap. And it wasn't until hours and hours later that she was ready to be born. So mm-hmm. it was the birth that I needed. I had a really great epidural. I could be on hands and knees, side to side. You know, I wasn't like completely numb to yeah. where I couldn't move my legs. And, and I had a conversation with that anesthesiologist. I said, I have a history of an epidural headache and I'm concerned. Like, I need you to really walk me through this. I need you to tell me what you're going to do and that everything's going well. And he was wonderful. He's like, oh, I could do this with my eyes closed. And I was like, you're like, but but don't don't. (laughs) (laughs) eyes open and pay attention, sir. Yeah. But Um, being that transfer from home to hospital was um, an experience that really brought value to me 
as a midwife, when we do have to make those transfers, I, I know what that feels like. I know mm-hmm. kind of what comes with it. And, you know, I'm a midwife, like you don't transfer to the hospital for an epidural, right? Yeah. But, but you do, sometimes you do, you do and that's sometimes okay. And mm-hmm. yeah, we always say that labor is 90% mental and you, you know, you were in that season of life where that just, you didn't have that capacity to give into it, but you got to grow from each experience and you were a midwife when you had Mila, your fourth baby. And then when in your birth span, did you go into midwifery or did you go into midwifery or you became a doula first? So six months after I had my second baby, that wonderful experience, I started working as a doula and it was great. Um, I remember my first client, she was having her second baby at Kaiser Sunset. I supported her and her husband. It was a wonderful birth. And then people kept hiring me. I kept attending. It was great. But they kept asking, the clients kept asking me questions about things that weren't in my scope of practice. And I didn't know how to answer them, like questions about uh, glucose screening and blood pressure and rashes and just things that I'm like, I I don't know. What is this? (laughs) (laughs) Ask your OB, you know, and they're like, well, we don't really have enough time with them or they don't really, they brush off our questions. And so, um, they weren't getting the information and the support that they needed. And so if there's a problem, I want to solve it. Right. That's just who I am. And so I said, well, maybe I need to look into being a midwife. And so, one year from when Noel was born, so six months of being a doula, I ended up applying for midwifery school. And that, so that was 2015. Love that. <laughs> You're like, I can do more. Yeah. And doulas do so much. I think they're game changers. I wish I knew about a doula when I was having either of my children. Mm-hmm. Just didn't even know about it in my second. Um, but doulas are such game changers and they can help so much. And not that the medical model is always terrible, right? You know, we don't want to paint it any one direction, but in the standard medical model, you don't get long appointments with your OB. You get 10, 15 minutes. You don't have a lot of time to ask questions. And it's not necessarily because that's how the OBs or other physicians want to do it. It's just that is how care is laid out because there's not enough providers and there's a lot of patients and they have to make it sustainable. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's done quickly. Um, the midwifery model is completely different. And, you know, that's the part of this podcast. We're going to be talking about that all the time. But, you know, in contrast, the midwifery model is you get an hour set aside for each of your appointments. Mm -hmm. You can ask the questions, you can get the answers that you're looking for or resources to get the answers that you're looking for. And so as a doula, you're seeing all this, you're hearing firsthand the encounters, like I have these questions, I'm not getting answers, like I want to be informed. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're like, well, I can do better. So now you enrolled in midwifery school. Mm-hmm. And what was that process like? I mean, not the enrollment part. <laughs> it's just, you know, paperwork. But um, more so once you're in midwifery school, how does that feel being a mom, um, having had your own personal birth experiences and moving forward wanting to be a licensed midwife? Well, I'm really glad that I was a doula for at least six months before I was on call for midwifery school because being on call is 
the hardest part of the job. And so having a period of time where I was just on call without adding the academic courses, the clinical skills um, and the clinic days, basically the midwifery education model for licensed midwives is an apprenticeship. So you find a licensed midwife to apprentice under and you're doing your academics online side by side with your clinicals. And so you are essentially an employee of that midwife. You're trading education for work. And that is really difficult. It's also essentially your residency. Right. You're doing all your clinical hours, your outpatient clinic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess it's all outpatient because it's not a hospital, but if you made it equivalent, your outpatient clinic hours, your um, birth, postpartum, newborn hours, all of those are in this apprenticeship that you're doing. Yep. Yep. So I started off at an LA based practice um, and I was there for about a year. And uh, then I moved over to a Ventura birth center and then I finished at a birth center in Santa Clarita. So I was able to learn from three different practices and you know, there's a lot of different kind of learning that you do. There are things that you learn that you don't want to do, things that you're like, oh, that feels like it resonates with me. And uh, it it all shapes you into the midwife that you're going to be. Mm-hmm. And in this process of getting to know different providers, different ways of practicing, um, what would you say your philosophy is as a midwife today? My philosophy has evolved. Um, I think that in my earlier years, I really thought that anybody who could have a community birth should. So home birth or birth center is a community birth. Um, And that to have a baby as a low risk person in the hospital was, I don't want to say wrong, but just not the best option. And now I would say that my stance is that you can have a great birth anywhere, hospital, birth center, or home, if you have a supportive provider, a supportive environment that you're birthing in, and true informed consent in your care. And I've met midwives and OBs and labor and delivery units where that can happen. Mm -hmm. Definitely being surrounded by people that support you and being able to get comfortable. And I think that's important to touch on because there are people who are like, I don't feel safe in a hospital. That's definitely not where I can visualize visualize myself having a baby. And so they feel safest at home or at a birth center. And then on the contrast end of that, you have people who feel safest in the hospital. And Mm -hmm. that is most conducive to them having a great birth experience. So Mm -hmm. I agree. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. We are mammals. So we're wherever you're going to feel safe so that your body can open and have a baby. Mm -hmm. And so now today, where are you at in your life? So last year was my first year in practice with Maggie. We opened up a clinic in Simi Valley and we're doing home birth and we're having a great time doing it. It's wonderful to be able to just set up the practice, Mm -hmm. how, we want to, and we're, we're giving really, really great care. We are trying to have a sustainable practice. So we are capping our numbers and trying to get more of that work-life balance that I think lacks in 
medical professionals lives oh yeah everyone burns out mm -hmm. um but yeah it's been such a fun year um i'm so excited to see all the things we have planned with this podcast and all the other projects we have going on and you know this is our first episode again so thanks for bearing with us and listening to us and next episode we'll talk about maggie's story my story yeah but you know, if you've been in our care in 2023, um, this is just, thank you. Um, all your input and advice is sort of what birthed this podcast. Mm -hmm. Pun totally unintentional, but intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just again, we, we know that you have a lot of options of who to listen to and we appreciate your time. Uh, Maggie and I are very middle of the road. We love all of the holistic and crunchy, um, uh, therapies, but we also really appreciate the allopathic therapies and we like to bring the two together to give you the best options in healthcare. So we appreciate you listening and please stay tuned for our next episode. All right, guys. Bye.